0: ASI, this is Season 5, Episode 25, I would be your host on the safari of misfits down into the darker recesses of the jungle. I'm Russ Shaw. Today on the podcast, I get to introduce you to another honored guest, Mr. Jay Stringer.
1: How, How does a man, how does a woman get to the point of really ruining their body ruining their relationships and that that for me is like i find that people will talk about their pornography addiction or their sins much easier than they will talk about a lot of the harm that they've endured yeah so and that's that's that thing of most people want to be saved they want their behavior to stop but they really don't want something of comfort something of nurture something of kindness for a lot of these formative stories in their sexual addiction they're they're really living out so much of that hatred against what their body experienced and so much revenge against those that brought them harm. Yeah. But we just we don't really engage those issues much in the church. And for me that that's the curious approach of God throughout the scriptures is like Adam, where are you? Jacob, what is your name? Hagar, where do you come from? Where are you going? So I believe like god's engagement of the human heart is always curious it's not shame on you i already died for your sins you should have been over this but it's like no where where do you come from where where are you going and so if, if the gospel is to reach us it has to reach us in our abuse it has to reach us in our harm exactly. it has to reach us in our sin yeah. but w- we have to go into those stories and that's really where i think the work of change is played out for people yeah. So, if you're not curious about those, your sexual struggle is going to keep knocking at your door saying, will you finally pay attention to me? Like, yeah. I, I have something that I've been trying to communicate to you since you were 12, yeah. um, and if you've struggled with me, but I, I, I keep knocking, will yeah. you actually open the door?
0: You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nails. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, Gonna break my rusty cage and run. That is Jay Stringer. You can actually email him. He he said, hey, put my email out there. I'm willing to take emails from listeners if they'd like. Stringer.j at gmail.com is his email address. I am so glad to have Jay on the podcast. I'm honored that he would uh, sit down with me. I am humbled and honored by every guest who is willing to talk about this. I'm a guy who blabs into a microphone, all right? I am not a professional. I am a misfit professional, unprofessional. We're all sort of misfits to a certain degree, aren't we? But this guy... Uh, he's one of the ones that is actually trained to guide you into some of the deeper, darker parts of the jungle, right? Some of the scarier places where the lions and the snakes are, right? Uh, That's what I love about guys like Jay. It's great that I get to have professionals like Jay on the podcast. Um, His website, by the way, jay-stringer, dot com that's just how it sounds by the way this his last name is not has some funky spelling right Uh, it's just j dash stringer dot com um you know me russ at asi247.org is my email for the podcast we talk about a little bit of research uh again i am in no way a professional but On the website, ASI247.org, there are surveys, much like the awesome survey done by a professional at j-stringer.com. It's called the Unwanted Sexual Behavior Assessment, and it's to provide groundbreaking research in identifying patterns and insights that will bring lasting freedom to those who struggle with unwanted sexual behavior. Uh, I know that because it's on his website right there. So he is gathering information uh, about this. I, too, ASI247.org, and and have been doing surveys. These surveys are in the spirit of gathering some research and infotainment, right? Uh, Understanding this journey, pilgrimage, jungle safari together. One of those surveys, I just updated some. It's called Me Too, An Echo of Sex, Struggles, and Secrets. And I'm excited about this survey. So after you go to j-stringer.com slash research-survey, or just go to the link on his website, j-stringer.com, after you fill out the Unwanted Sexual Behavior Assessment Uh, I encourage you to check out this this survey that I'm doing. And it's a chance to actually be on the podcast and share what you're going through uh, with others. Because this is something in my own recovery that, you know, the sense of me too, being a traveler in this journey, right, through this jungle, Having other people, like the the fact that you're not alone, like that's another, that's one big one, but the fact that you would see and feel some of those sights, some of those smells, right, some of those scary animals in that jungle with other people... Like, wow, that creature, that sight, that smell, that person. Like, I felt that. Did you feel that? And they would say, me too. What's familiar about it for me is like waking up out of a funk that I've been in for a long time and then being in that jungle, but not alone. And you're anonymous. I ask you not to use your name. I ask you to come up with a clever handle or nickname or username, right? So if you'd like to... I don't know, fillet yourself open for public consumption. (laughs) I laugh, but really, sometimes it can feel like that, like you're walking into a bunch of scorpions or snakes or something, right? But again, I'm challenging you to maybe a kind of first step out there, right? And you can do that at ASI247.org. Again, click on the survey page. Or, again, j-stringer.com. Click on Research Survey. The idea is to encourage healing and even a thirst or a curiosity for healing. So again, go to Jay's website for real professional assessment and my website for a little research, a little infotainment and a chance to be in the podcast. I'm going to start blabbing now, and uh, I'm going to play a bumper by a guy covering Johnny Cash, where I just played Johnny Cash covering a Seattle band called Soundgarden. And originally, no, the song is not by Johnny Cash. It's by a, a guy named Claude Eli. And he is describing, he wrote this song in 1934. He had tuberculosis when he was 12 years old. His family prayed for his health. The community came in alongside him. And it's a beautiful story of healing, how this this song came about. I know, this episode is full of surprises. <laughs> but you're going to love this conversation at the Smith Tower in Seattle, Washington. I couldn't think of better intro music to play as I introduce Jay Stringer than this cover by Davey Knowles. Ain't no grave. Don't you blow that trumpet, boy Turn your health on me ain't no grave Hold my body down When you hear that trumpet sound Gonna rise right out of the ground Ain't no grave Hold my body down Jay Stringer Welcome to the ASI Podcast. Uh, You uh, went to the same school as my friend Seth. Seth Taylor's been on the show a number of times. And uh, he he got me connected with you. You're doing some work in the area of... uh, You're writing a book about uh, sexual integrity currently. And uh, you graduated from uh, Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Back in
1: 2009.
0: 2009. And you have a master's in... Counseling. I have a master's in counseling and a MDiv. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about you. You and I were talking a little bit uh, about John schools. So you're involved in a, a John school. Yes. Yep. What is a John school? So a John school um,
1: is basically a alternative to sentencing. So an alternative to jail time. So right. when men are arrested for soliciting uh, women in prostitution. They are able to go to one of these schools called a John School, and a John is basically just another word for a sex buyer. Right. Um, and so if they attend these schools, then it doesn't go on their record. So, oh, I see. Interesting. Um, it's, as it stands right now in the city of Seattle, it's just a one-day program, about eight hours, and they get an overview of kind of gender-based violence, uh, sexually transmitted infection issues, right. and then I'm the sex addiction therapist.
0: So how long have you been uh, doing
1: that? Uh, since 2009, so um, started, the f- started doing it the first year that the city of Seattle started it, uh-huh. um, and we got approached by the mayor's office at the time, and they just said, um, I was involved with a church plant, and they said, we know that you're involved uh, in a church plant on Aurora Avenue, and do you have anyone that can come into this class to talk about the neighborhood impact of John's? Uh, so that was kind of the first start. I had never really heard of John's schools before, um, but just kind of came in to talk about what it was like to see condoms on the sidewalk, to see kind of guys cruising up and down Aurora. So this was what, what block up there? Ninetieth
0: uh, in Aurora. Ninetieth in Aurora. In the Seattle area, this yeah. interview is taking place in Seattle, in Seattle. Washington. Yeah. We're in the Smith Tower, which is awesome. Yeah, I've never been here before. Your office is in the Smith Tower. I've driven by here a hundred times. Mm-hmm. The oldest skyscraper. Yeah. And the on only the skyscraper
1: coast. with functioning windows. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. They so actually making open. open though. Wow. Yeah. I actually saw two bald eagles fly through.
0: Oh yeah. wow. That's stunning. awesome. Yeah. It's a spectacular view of uh, mm-hmm. Elliott Bay out there. Yeah. So you uh, married? Uh, married
1: uh, for about seven and a half years. Oh, All <laughs> right. My wife is Heather Stringer, okay. and she uh, yeah we met at the Seattle School. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. All right. You have kids yet? Two kids, All boy right. and a girl, almost four and almost two.
0: Nice. Yeah. You like won the baby lottery? Yeah. <laughs> <That was laughs> lot yeah. No, magic. totally. Yeah. Boy and girl. Actually, I well, got snipped after that. I'm like, I got okay. the procedure yep. because I figured I'm done. This You're is done. Well, yeah. this is good. So, when you what, tell me about the book, a little bit, what's the title sure. of the book that you? Uh, it is still untitled. It's oh, not wow. the title yet. No. So, um,
1: but it's it's really addressing unwanted sexual behavior. So okay. that could be. Um, pornography, prostitution, affairs, promiscuity. So anything that like people would actually say, this is a problem in my life. Uh-huh. And that doesn't negate that there's some ambivalence of, I don't want to be doing this. And yet at the same time, I'm, uh, doing, I'm doing it. Yeah. So I'm really trying to, in the book, trying to understand how do people get involved in unwanted sexual behavior? Um, what are kind of their origin stories? Right. And then um, in some ways, why do people stay? Because a lot of people want to get out and... Um, but yet don't really understand how their addiction has really come to serve them, so even the John School, last time we did the John School, they we had one guy just say, you know I know what I'm doing is off and I probably shouldn't be doing it, but it's like a vacation to me, and what he outlined was basically booking two to three extra business trips a year just to be able to go to clubs, hire escorts, hire women in prostitution so uh, that's really part two is like why do you stay um, and getting into that and then part three is how do I get out
0: of that tell me about your story a little bit mm-hmm. because most people I know who are in the helping arts right sure. who are counselors yep. or counselors or writing a book about such yep. such and such have uh, have some some story so it's your history <laughs> as far sure. as this is yep. like everybody who who is a counselor or something, right? <laughs> you're a little fucked up in some way right sure. yep. as Absolutely. am I yeah, and uh, what is your story? How do you, how do you uh, intersect with this mm-hmm. sexual integrity? And-
1: yeah, so I uh, I am a pastor's kid, PK. So okay. my dad was a Presbyterian Church of America minister right. back in the day, and so I am the third of four kids, um, and so a lot of. A lot of where I come from is kind of watching, you know, what they say kind of about pastor's kids is that they can kind of be a little bit, uh, on the edge or they're kind of the good golden boy. And my older siblings kind of took more of the rebellious kind of challenging authority approach. And I took kind of, I'm going to camouflage myself, uh, here. You're going to be the good kid. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and so a lot of, I mean, th- this is all stories since I've become, you know, a therapist that works within sexual addiction and sexual integrity issues. But uh, some of just what I remember growing up, you know, as my dad, is a pastor, they will try and reach him at his office. And if they can't reach him out of at his office, they're going to call our home. So, again, this is before cell phones. And so we would have right. the answering machine basically right by our dinner table. Um, and so it would be common dinner time late in the evening for my dad to get crisis calls from people in the church, and many crises are the result of sexual addiction, affairs, those sorts of things. so right. in in some ways like very almost like a voyeur into the sexual lives of what was happening in right. the church growing up. and so that really kind of created some of the initial intrigue of just, whoa, there's this whole other world going on that these people that I see on Sunday, these people that I see on Wednesday, um, are not talking about, and right. yet they're really, really dictating the course of their families' lives. And so I think that was some like of the silent initial suffering, right? Yeah. Under the, but also like an intrigue, like I did a little bit of training under Dr. Patrick Carnes. Oh, and, wow. uh, okay. One of the things that he told our cohort was um, you always have to remember that as a therapist, you are a privileged voyeur into people's lives. And right. so that was kind of the first thing of when did kind of this voyeurism kind of actually start the intrigue for this kind of stuff, but also we can't talk about it. Right. Um, so kind of just growing up in that environment where I, I think in many ways, being really faithful, being a good kid, trying to really honor God and having a heart for God. And yet there was also kind of just other things that were happening with regard to fantasy pornography that it just felt like I was in this constant two-stepping of on one hand I'm faithful, but on the other hand um, I really lack integrity. Um, And then just feeling like a lot of shame within that and and yet having no place to really take that um, because there just wasn't a good sexual conversation happening in church youth group and not just in my church but yeah. really um, until it's a crisis call until it was a on exactly. the answering machine yeah. well said. then
0: you're like wow yeah. Yeah, we're gonna- yeah
1: and that's i think that that's part of just what i grew up watching was why why do we have to wait so long yeah. in order to kind of invite people to care invite people to really engage the stories um, and so, growing up, like you you think that your battle is with lust, and you think that your battle is with like something out there, something out there. there rather than really recognizing like if God made our sexuality to in some ways be an image bearer of who God is there's something about our sexuality that will reflect something of what God is like, and yet most of the time our sexuality is something that we 're really ashamed of yeah. um, and and hide it so I think a lot of what I do in the book and also in my private practice is to really invite men into and women into just the recognition that a lot of times people come into treatment come into recovery come into crisis and they just want to get rid of their pornography issue they just want to get rid of their desire for Mm. perversion and part of what I invite them to is like what if your perversion what if the pornography that you're struggling with actually holds the very keys to the freedom that you're seeking so instead of just saying this is about medication or this is about um a really helpful solution or any of those kind of adages that have become popular i'm really trying to say no like your struggle is the very stage the very vehicle through which the work of god is played out in our lives
0: right interesting yeah because that is so true it's uh a Help me get rid of this thing. Yeah. Like it's a bandy that you rip off. Yes. To to be clear, you have struggled with, with pornography and stuff yeah. yourself mm-hmm. a, as a younger man. Was it like yeah. internet stuff or it was internet, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how the a uh, higher speed the internet the more people mm-hmm. seem to really have a yeah it gets its hooks in even deeper totally, right yeah because it's just like a click away yeah smartphones i mean yeah. it's, it's everywhere
1: totally um, it's everywhere and i think part of what i'm trying to really invite people to is like not just that you struggle with pornography but really what is the type of pornography that you seek out so there are different like the the number one search for term last year um, from porn hub in 2016 was stepmom um, and then MILF is up there at number three, number four. And so that's that's really, I think, so much of what's missing in this kind of lust dialogue or pain medication dialogue is that we're really, really missing, like, what is this fantasy that people are really trying to cue in on? And it, it might just be like Instagram, Tumblr, scrolling in order to kill time and to act out in that way. but. I would say most people have a really core narrative of arousal like an arousal template of sorts that they are trying to rediscover and yet never get invited to figure out what that is so like Patrick Carnes would say that the recreation of trauma is the biggest sexual hit of all All Um, and so a lot of times what you have is people that have known sexual abuse, that have known abandonment, that have known a lot of just really intense issues repeating a lot of those dramas and just reenacting them, whether it's in their pornography use or in kind of prostitution and those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, that's that's me. Yeah. A lot of what you just said was, mm-hmm. was a lot of my uh my behavior and Yeah. And the journey into that is mm-hmm. is the recovery part. Yeah. And that seems to be the scary part for people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is is walk journeying into the, those hurt hurt yeah. spaces, you know. Yeah. But working with Patrick Carnes, that's amazing. So Patrick Carnes, for listeners who don't know, he's sort of the, the godfather of, of mm-hmm. treating sexual addiction as a a thing. Yeah. Back, he tried to release the, the book Out of the Shadows in the 70s yeah. and no one would touch it cuz they're like eh, there's no yes. such thing as sexual addiction you know yeah. and, and, and who is going to read that on an airplane
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you need to <laughs> exactly <laughs> because he said that he originally titled
0: it the sexual addiction before it oh, came wow. out of the shadows yeah but, but patrick car so so tell me more about that how did you uh, get together with patrick car mm-hmm.
1: yeah um so he he runs a program basically where you become a certified sex addiction therapist which okay. I'm not um, but I went through the first module of that training yeah. so he has yeah I believe it's a four module program kind of all around the yeah, country I've seen that. really yeah. really helpful really good um, information pattern recognition so I, I think part of when I was initially starting out as a therapist there were just more and more kind of sexual addiction issues that I was dealing with in my practice and so I think that it started as just a matter of continuing education of I need to become more competent in where these patterns come from and right. how do you get out of it. So right. he was, as you said, the godfather, the source of a lot of that wisdom. And,
0: and he's been doing it the longest, which so is, long. is yeah. good. There's something to so people are trying to, you know, the, the professionals out there are trying to mm-hmm. rename sexual addiction, like sexual compulsive behavior. Yeah. Sometimes I say that when I'm addressing my own story, like mm-hmm. whatever the new buzzword is today, whether yeah. it's sexual addiction, <laughs> sexual compulsive behavior. What, yeah. Whatever it was, it was something that I wasn't able to control on my own. Yeah. And it started to control me yeah. where I didn't, yes. you know, outside of my, yeah. my own will something you wrote so you sent me some material on, on your book on pdf and i i had this this little part bookmarked I'll, I'll just read it and maybe you can respond maybe remember where you were when you sure. wrote it or something <laughs> in the religious community in in the religious community i am involved with there is a well-meaning but truncated understanding of the gospel which is offered to men to address their behavior. Time and time again, I hear stories and sermons from religious leaders who want the hearts of men to be captured by the gospel, but they do not take the time to journey with them through the formative terrain which has marked their lives. That is so true. Um, We want to see resurrection and transformation, but we often do so through ignoring abuse betrayal and neglect these men have experienced Uh, if we do not know the stories that have led to the present sexual struggles we should question whether or not we have earned the privilege to talk to them about the hope that they that we think they should find in the gospel Mm -hmm. the gospel is dynamic a form of TNT and for it to be life-altering it must be wedged deeply into the crevices and the darkness and pain that exists within the hearts of men. This work is rarely general. It is always tactical. It is always contextual. It is my conviction that God, the God of the universe, is neither surprised nor ashamed of the behaviors that we practice in, but he sees them as, a, as the very stage through which the work of healing is played out. Mm-hmm. Dude, that is so awesome. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as Rob Bell would say, so good. Right? There's so many. Uh, I can uh, like that's that's it as mm-hmm. far as sexual addiction ways yeah. treated in the church. Yes. Yeah. And and something that's very I, I believe that's wrong with a lot of institutional organized religion yeah. is we don't we want we want to help you with your stuff. We don't really want to know that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like when we get into that uncomfortable uh why is it so hard to do you think it's just the gospel has become this kind of religious word where it's just you got to hear the good news about jesus like and i i've said this before and it's sort of offensive to some ministers i think but i've said um when people say well you know jesus died on the cross for your sins and you know what everyone knows that it's like the geico commercial like, save 15 minutes on your car insurance. Like, yeah. everyone knows that. And we've heard that. And, you know, yeah. I, I told a, a pastor recently, he said, uh, in this, a lot of this is from uh, my friend Jim Henderson wrote mm-hmm. some st- stuff on this. And he was talking about, like, your unbelieving neighbors and friends, they heard that. Yeah. They know that. Yeah. But is, mm-hmm. where does the gospel really meet mm-hmm. and, and change and transform, Jay? That's yeah. where your book is, is after, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think it change
1: always happens in the dirt. So, yeah. And I think part of, at least in Christian theology, we don't really allow the person of Christ and the life of Christ to be formed in us. So that's that kind of leap to we want to see resurrection, which of course we do, but we often don't want to engage the crucifixion of Friday and the holy hell of Saturday. So yeah. a lot of, I think even in those in a lot of the, the clients that I work with, in order for them to get to something of Sunday, that process takes two or three years. Yeah. The church doesn't wait that long to kind of wait in the dirt of people's stories. So a lot of times when people come in, they, they come in to see me out of crisis. Um, and pretty soon after that, they begin to tell stories of neglect, sexual abuse, Um, and that's really where a lot of these pattern types of behaviors that we see ruining marriages and ruining relationships, uh, really stem from. So, um, a lot of, four out of five people who struggle with sexual addiction have a history of sexual abuse. Um, and so when I kind of work with men and women in that, who have that history, I have to recognize that, um their first sexual experiences basically formed in them like a sexual template. So, um, and in that sexual template, I think of it as almost like an arousal cocktail, um, where you have oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical. So most people who, uh, are victims of abuse, they know their abuser. Um, so that abuser doesn't just start with genital touch. They usually start with, um, praising someone. Uh, For some of my clients, that was an uncle that just took them out uh, to learn how to drive a truck for the first time. Um, So there's always this relationship of trust that an abuser begins with that forms bonding. And at the same time, they begin to introduce more sexual type of touch, and that releases cortisol in in a system. And yet every abuser is fundamentally working for the pleasure of the victim that they're abusing. Because once there's pleasure, then in some ways the victim feels complicit in the abuse. And that's really the madness of when people undergo sexual abuse is they have this thing that they felt bonded to this person and yet they also felt pleasure with this person and at the same time they also felt stress all of that basically becomes your first sexual experience. And so that is in many ways what people are trying to recreate later in life. And so when it comes to the church, we often look at promiscuity. We often look at people who are um, purchasing sex and we, we know the inherent sin in that action, but we don't have the eyes or the compassion to really kind of say, how did someone get to the point where they really want to ruin something of their life? Like, how, how does a man how does a woman get to the point of really ruining their body ruining their relationships and for me that that's the curious approach of god throughout the scriptures is like adam where are you jacob what is your name hagar where do you come from where are you going so i believe like god's engagement of the human heart is always curious it's not shame on you i already died for your sins you should have been over this but it's like no where where do you come from where where are you going and so if if the gospel is to reach us it has to reach us in our abuse it has to reach us in our harm it has to reach us in our sin yeah but we have to go into those stories and that's really where i think the work of change is played out for people
0: yeah yeah absolutely the shack Great example of that, yeah i don 't know if you have you read the book no I haven't. oh man it's yeah. it's. I, I just saw the film that film just came out recently. Um, Paul Young, the author yeah. was also on on the podcast okay and and that 's some of his story too mm-hmm. it was was sexual abuse, yeah and going to that place, and that 's what the story's about is, mm-hmm. is actually having a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. we throw that around in in Christian theology today, especially yeah. with the more. More progressive churches use the word relationship, mm-hmm. but what that relationship looks like, I think, is maybe where we get scared, right? Yeah, totally. We don't want to talk about our faults and our failures yeah. and the fact that we're all, you know, yeah. Yeah. a work in progress. Totally. And that that, for me, is like, I find that people
1: will talk about their pornography addiction or their sins much easier than they will talk about a lot of the harm that they've endured. Yeah. So and that's that's that thing of most people want to be saved. They want their behavior to stop, but they really don't want something of comfort, something of nurture, something of kindness for a lot of these formative stories. In their sexual addiction, they're they're really living out so much of that hatred against what their body experienced. And so much revenge against those that brought them harm. Yeah. But we just we don't
0: really engage those issues much in the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what what can the church do, Jay? I think one of the things that I've said on this podcast uh, recently, I think your pastor is a guy who has some wisdom. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a fatherly figure in the church. Yeah. I don't think he should be taken. Too seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is something I saw at Mars Hill Church when the whole fall, the rise, and fall of Mars Hill Church. People just took that cat just way too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll it, it, it wrecked some people's lives. Mm-hmm. But I think that well, that's one thing to remember: is a don't take your pastor too seriously. He's a human being. Mm-hmm. He's a flawed human being. Yeah. He's He's fumbling around yeah. like like we are uh, sure. groping for truth, but. Yeah. It, it, nah. I, I think people need to go to someone like yourself, yeah. someone who has some training. Um, there's always the money issue. Like yeah. People bring that up. Um, I'm seeing a, a therapist, a professional therapist, mm-hmm. and part of that is thanks to Obamacare. Yeah. And I went through a lot of Christian counselors, mm-hmm. and, and some of it wasn't real helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Christian counselor I saw him paying $70 a session, he told me to, to take my affair-having to my grave. And never tell my spouse, and I knew that was messed up. Yeah, but here's a guy with a professional. I mean, you have to be discerning. Yeah, about some of this Always stuff. Always be suspicious of
1: professionals.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're professionals. Yeah. So as someone, I mean, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, being spiritually sensitive to the people you're opening up to. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to discourage people from getting help, but I also, I've experienced some of this myself. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to someone who's like, a, a, I don't know, you know, maybe they had a bad counselor in the past yeah. or yeah. or someone?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think like pastors just are not well trained in this. Um, if they do have some training, I would say great, but the majority of us just do not have that training. Uh-huh. Um, so I would certainly say... SA, SAA is a really great place to start. Amnesty International did a study, uh, a couple years ago where they, or an experiment a couple years ago where they tried to give torture victims free therapy, free individual therapy. And they found that, um, it wasn't too helpful, um, because what they found was that torture survivors really, really needed to hear the story of someone else that had been tortured in order to kind of normalize and make sense of their own and that's really i think something of just the beautiful notion of a group is that when you walk into an essay place saa um you actually begin to hear the other men women in the group story first and that begins to kind of help you metabolize and make sense of your own story so i would i i always push groups as like a really good thing like i mean i think everyone should go through the 12 steps at some point, just to read it and to reflect and to make sense of where their life has been. So I would say, yeah, 12 step groups are really great, but they're also, they can be bullies as well, just yeah. as therapists can be That was bullies, the last show. The
0: pastors can be bullies. Right, so. yeah. A few shows ago, uh, Seth and I did yeah. a whole conversation on what to what to look for in groups yeah. and which ones are abusive, which ones yeah. can be healthy and ungrateful. But once you yeah, have a you bully, that. that's, yeah. that's good to... Good data. To yeah. It's time to get yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> but also, uh, groups that are willing to you know, talk about their, their faults and, yeah. and correct those yeah. and move forward. Seth talked about some stuff with with XXX Church and how, yeah. how that got worked out. And now mm-hmm. they're moving forward and doing a really great right yeah. job with black pilgrimage groups, yeah. which are a lot different than some of the other approaches to yeah. sexual addiction. Totally. Um, like what you said about sexual addiction itself. There's a lot of groups that mm-hmm. I think the people in the groups are just trying to get this this thing taken care of. Mm-hmm. Like and yeah. they think they can just remove it like a cancer. Yeah. It's not it's not cancer. Yeah. Like a you know, it's more it has to do with the heart. Yeah. This is a symptom. Absolutely. That was one of my, my things with AA back in the day. I was sent to rehab when I was sixteen. It was like a state sponsored yeah. thing, but mm-hmm. the guy kept saying that that alcoholism was the disease, and I okay. I had to disagree with that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, like alcohol is a symptom of the disease. Alcohol is mm-hmm. like the, the, yeah. the snot that's coming out of your nose. There's something in the heart that really needs to be treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it? right, Jay. Yeah. So your your book is addressing. Yeah, the I
1: got the book contract probably end of 2015, and my publisher had already titled out all of 2017, so it'll be released in 2018. So. One of the other things that I decided to do, kind of just in the wait time, was to start a research project. Okay. Um, That would really get, some, in some ways, the primary data on these themes that I've been seeing a lot in my private practice, but really haven't seen a lot of statistics for.
0: So gathering research then. Yeah. I do uh, some surveys on the podcast. Okay. Um, ASI 247.org <laughs> click on the survey page yeah and there's a number of surveys there yeah. where I ask questions that I was never asked yeah you know especially like at church yeah, yeah. and it really I try and penetrate mm-hmm. whoever's filling out the surveys to where basic kind of questions mm-hmm. about your your little secret habit yeah. right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I find research stuff fascinating. Cause there's not that's a lot right. of research. There's not on on this stuff. Really, because yeah. it's scary and people mm-hmm. don't want to just share sure. that stuff. You're totally anonymous when you do that through yeah. the uh, the podcast. By the way, okay. through uh, Survey Monkey. That's one of the things I do, and it's sort of a little a little conundrum for me doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Is I, uh, you know, the counselors? Yes, get counseling. You know, yeah, that's positive. Go do that. Yeah, but like Seth and I talked about in the codependency uh, episode, realize that it's not on the other person to fix you. Yeah. Like you're bringing yourself and your yeah. stuff to this person and they have knowledge to share with you and to help you kind of mine some of that. Is that a mm-hmm. good word? Sure. They're, yeah. they're, they're more miners, like yeah. to get in and, and pull from you so you can see it yourself exactly. and take this journey yourself. Yeah right yeah. because totally. it's 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 not that you're like, they're a car and you're a mechanic mm-hmm. right, yeah. or yeah. the group leader, yeah, for example, yeah um there that's where I think the spirit moves too mm-hmm. right yeah when you can when you can call out your group leader and he doesn't get all mad. Mm-hmm. But they top and they, they reflect and stuff. Mm-hmm. You were talking yep. about some yep. SA groups that you've been a part of that were really great, like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a lot of my clients, um, it, not to say that they don't have issues with their groups from time to time, but in many of uh, the the clients that I've worked with, this is their first experience of a group that actually wasn't trying to be hyper vigilantly focused on their sexual sin, on their last time that they acted out. I mean, that was all I, part of it. But they were really inviting them to really the story of, like, where do you come from? Um, and to really get a sense of what's been my sexual history, wh- where have I been? And then what really do I want to live for? And to, and and that's so much of the frame of that group. It's, it's, it's not, you screwed up again. Yeah.
0: yeah. Get back on the wagon.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think so much of whether it's groups or good friends or a walk with someone that you really trust Like with the I can't see my face You cannot see yours aside yeah, exactly. From a selfie Or a mirror But like we need other people To begin to reflect back to us Like what do you experience When I'm telling the story Or I can say You know, I watched porn I really struggled with it But Like, whoa, 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 can we just slow that whole thing down? And you rush through that whole thing. Right. What did you actually struggle with? What were you feeling? Yeah, 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 totally. And a lot of times accountability can kind of be just like a... It's this... you, You have to hold that line taut between... Is this kind of voyeurism or is this like true accountability? And I think that that's the split, is that a lot of times you can kind of just feel like someone's invasively wanting to know your sexual life without any context of where you come from. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk to a fair number of Christian leaders that will say men just don't want to do the work of integrity, or they don't want to do the work, and yet, from my standpoint, they don't really have any understanding of what the work is. So, again, it's one thing to say you're having serial affairs. It's another thing to kind of know something of the story of where that comes from, and they're trying to sabotage so I think that that's really the function of um, I think what you're saying with a good group leader um, in some of my training at the Seattle school one of their main adages is that you can take no one further than you have been yourself yeah and so if you don't know your own lust if you don't know your own arrogance if you don't know kind of your blind spots you're not going to be able to lead people further into that. And so that that's the main problem I see with a lot of groups is you have people running groups or running organizations that really don't have a sense of their own story, of where they've been. Yeah. Um, but they may have found an app or a type of theory that worked really well for them, and then it healed them, and then they want to get a book about that. Yeah. Uh, or they so
0: That's part of this podcast. I started this podcast with a very... And people still respond to that, and they and they, and they you know, I still get emails from people that listen to the show like ten years ago. And you've they're been doing this for ten years. I've been doing this for eleven oh, years. Yeah. This podcast. Wow. And one of the, off and on. That's I've what I've been let been it go here. for it's like a years year or so like that, yeah. right? And, and I, I took a break, uh, but I I had a very Fight approach, kind of. I'm mm. going to fight this thing. Yeah, like this thing's not going to beat me. Mm. And for some reason, my male kind of heart mm-hmm. that worked for me. Yeah, this this I'm going to pick a fight with my mm-hmm. own sin or whatever word word yeah. you want to use. Sure. And that worked to a certain degree. Yeah. But then I got to the point, Jay, where um, where I was free from that the behaviors. Yeah. And I'm also free from chemical dependency, mm. too. So I've had a long you know, recovery from methamphetamine, crack cocaine, okay. uh, drinking. I, I drank myself unconscious on a regular basis. Um, wow. But one of the things that I, I had to step back from mm. is the fact that you can get clean from this. You know? mm-hmm. Reminds me of that story with, with C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce with the Angel. Approaches the guy on the path, the red lizard story. Like, I can remove the red lizard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I felt like I had that, that yeah. thing removed, but then totally. guess what? It was just there was nothing there. Yeah. Now I look at porn as like other people having sex. Mm-hmm. And it's like I was just depressed. Yeah. So I went after Mars, when the whole Mars Hill thing collapsed, and I saw people that I thought I really knew and I had this real mm-hmm. kind of connection with all going in different directions. Yeah, I and mean, the way people responded to that to that church's mm-hmm. fall was was amazing. It was mm-hmm. it was hurt it, it hurt, yeah. but it was I'm still connected with a lot of those folks. But mm-hmm. some of them aren't believers yeah. anymore. Yeah, some of them have gone. My like one, one friend goes to an Orthodox church now. Mm-hmm. A couple of friends do. Um, just the way that people, it's kind of splintered into different yeah. faith categories. Mm-hmm. Almost like you you dump a glass of water out on the concrete and <laughs> all the water goes so, yeah. somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing that happen, it, it sent me into a, a strange depression because I don't have a a real good bead on religion. I'm not a big okay. fan, yeah. to be honest with you. Sure. I love Jesus, I love yeah. God, but religion is... Ugh. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm following you with that. Like this, Yeah, the, the, uh, like so much of if i understood
1: what you were saying like just that the fighting aspect it, it there's a this is going to go into a little bit of psychology but okay like in french psychoanalysis uh there's this guy named lacan who would basically say that there are no people without symptoms um so all of it so he would talk about you know if you have the symptom of a bad back that symptom is actually there to try and get your attention to something uh-huh. um so You know, it might say, you know, you sit in a really uncomfortable chair for eight hours, wake up. Or most of us in Western culture, we either hate our symptoms or we medicate them. Um, So it's that notion of I have a bad back. Well, I I hate my back. I wake up and I'm just tired of having to deal with my back. Or it's I need a gin tonic. I need wine when I get home because I don't want to deal with this. And same thing with depression of I, I, you know, I hate myself. I hate that I'm depressed rather than like the, to kind of understand that your symptom, uh, in French psychoanalysis is almost like a holy prophet that's trying to say the thing that cannot be said. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's trying to alert you to something. And and that's what I, you know, that's the gift of what I get to do as a therapist is to say like, you don't need to hate these symptoms of anxiety, of even pornography addiction, but they're, they're, they're trying to invite you to something about your life that you've never considered before, and that's really where the healing comes, is not in the hatred of what you have or in the hatred of um, how long you've been dealing with it, but really the, the presence of mind to be able to say, there's something in my life right now that's a symptom, there's something in my life right now that I'm at odds with, and there's something here for me to learn. There's something in this that could potentially be a gift yeah. if I can have a posture that actually and that's turning, receives
0: the symptom. Right. And that, and that's turning your life into something kind of progressive, too. Because I think that's something that everyone goes so through as well. Yeah. is A the, the book I'm working on is called Mutiny on the Ghost Ship. <laughs> right. And I think that everybody gets yeah. to that place where they feel like they're on a... They're on a ship floating around a haunted sea with no rudder and no direction. I think we get to that. this new movie that's probably going to win all the Oscars, La La Land. I I don't know if you've seen it, but it it deals with that place where everyone feels that kind of just, you know, life is, I I had this dream, I had this when I was young, I had this, ah, I'm going to do that. And then you just go through the motions in life. And this recovery from this I see that as as one of those kind of journeys it's not like you're chasing a dream to become a movie star but it is you going in and and, and dealing with some of the hurts and the wounds and and living a a more peaceful life that's part of the reward is that you don't have yeah stress or depression or mm-hmm. anti-anxiety pills or hangovers <laughs> sure <laughs> totally
1: yeah yeah and i might overuse this example but i remember being really fascinated by the uh um the ghost ship thing reminded me of just pirates um no. but i remember being really intrigued by the somali pirate thing and i don't oh, know yeah. there's a film with tom hanks i can't remember what yeah, it was yeah. called. what is their origin story like where did they come from and when I, I did, you know, a couple Google searches as to where they come from, and, like, you get the whole history of there's so much war, there's warlords running the country. And then I found out that there the United Nations estimates that we s- used to steal $300 million of seafood off of their coasts. And then it's one of the cheapest places... To drop off toxic waste, oh, okay. um, and so you have this. Basically, their waters have been pillaged. Their land is kind of in uproar and in rebellion. They have nowhere to go, and yet they have boats, and they have like they don't have anywhere to fish anymore. So they use their fishing boats to kind of go off into do piracy, which does a lot of damage. But if we want to stop the piracy, without kind of really beginning to get a sense of foreign policy of how have we pillaged this country and what are they in. Yeah. We really won't have a scope of what a Somali might tell us in order like what healing would actually look like for them. Instead of us just saying, here's sanctions, don't Pirate, do it's bad. Yeah, yeah. totally. But yeah. really to like listen to like I would love to be able to listen for hours to a Somali's story of what was it like to know to witness this violence, to watch your dad, your mom disappear. What was it like to kind of know that there was no fish left for you? to Like, what, what were those hours like? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's it, very different than sexual addiction. But to me, that's the same work Is we see so many men that are committed to violence against women that are doing really perverse things, that are ruining, sabotaging families. And we have to engage that, but we have to begin to say, like, what what were your coastlines like? Yeah. What what was the interior of your home life like before everything started getting to where it is today?
0: Yeah. And that's like and that's where you go with treating mm-hmm. the disease and not just yeah. the symptoms. Or yeah. an analogy I had uh, in the show was I would say a lot of folks just want to reach up underneath the dashboard and clip the check engine light. <laughs> yeah. You know? I have a check engine light on right now. <laughs> no, yeah. We yeah. jump yeah. in there clip that thing off and, and everything will be, then you want to have a check or engine Or you can mark. go to one of those auto
1: places and they can actually clear the code potentially long enough for you to get through emissions.
0: <laughs> 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 that's right. Yes. That's what we do. Yeah. Because it's so much more work. Yeah. Man... What, what you wrote is, is – is, what you're writing is so good, just the samples that you gave me. But there's got to be some kind of a emotional, like, spark that came mm-hmm. from that I need to write about this. Mm-hmm. And, and can you explain to the listeners what, what was that? What, what made you throw your hat in the ring as far as so, uh, this kind of material is yeah. concerned? Because that came from an emotional place yeah. in you, right? Yeah. It was birthed out
1: somewhere. Yeah. Totally. Um, it was – I mean – certainly clients, but I think just my own story. Um, So what I was kind of saying earlier, of just kind of like having that answering machine on in my house, uh, and we would kind of get different phone calls from people in the church. What would usually happen from that point on would be that my dad would go and attend to one of these crises the next day, set up meetings. Um, And so in my family, one of the my style of relating, my way of being in the family was to really check in on how my mom was doing. Um, was she sad? Was she angry? Um, what was going through her heart, you know, seven, eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old, and really having a sense of this is the way that I need to kind of exist within my family. This is who I thought and kind of was groomed <laughs> to be in my family. Right. Um, and so that all kind of went well until kind of reach adulthood and begin to play some of those patterns out of that. There, I, I, I've always had like a really intuitive sense of what people are struggling with right. or, the way that their husbands are abdicating their responsibility or or the way that their boyfriends have been assholes. And that was always the place that I positioned myself. Um, And, you know, when we position ourselves like that to, you know, (laughs) those in our life, that is a sexual event. It might not be genital, but it's an expression of our sexuality, being able to say, I sense depression, I sense heartache, and I'm going to move my body, my emotions, my heart, into the scene into this person's life Um, and I think just recognizing the war that that created um, even before I was married but certainly when I was married of whoa I've been doing this my whole life like in many ways that's how my relationship with Heather began was getting a sense of what was going on in her family and her life and offering Kindness, And so I I view that that's really the work of evil is to take something of goodness, even something of the the gifts that we develop in the context of harm and then to pervert them for, you know, sexual perversion, sexual sin. And so when I looked at just even uh, categories of porn use that I was into or just kind of fantasies that would begin to generate in my heart and body. I took that to my therapist, and I was like, I'm really troubled. Like, I'm beginning to launch this career and a marriage with these themes, and I feel like I shouldn't even bring this to you. And she's like, how could you want to be in this field and not have a lot of your sexual life that needs to be healed? Um, and so began to talk to her pretty generally um, about some of the fantasies, some of just past sexual struggles that I've had. And she said, you no, Jay, tell me the story. Tell me about what your role was in your family. And I, you know, I'm a therapist, and I was completely annoyed with her question. <laughs> um, and I just didn't answer yeah. it for 30 seconds. And so I said I was the good kid when everybody else, like, I... Yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's part of it. But tell me, like, who did you need to be for your mom? Who did you need to be? And I just said, like, that was my job, was to get a sense of what was disordered In her life in my family context and then to begin to offer myself into that Um, and then she said in your fantasies and in your pornography um, is not something of that still playing out both in repetition and in anger Um, and I was kind of jaw-dropped and I was like I've just never had my life my fantasies read in that way that like, where I come from really shapes my sexuality, it shapes my sexual goodness, but it also shapes my sexual sin, and so that, I felt just so much shame lift off, lift off of me, and I think that was, Annie Dillard has this line of, I never knew I was a bell until I was struck, and that was something of that initial mm-hmm. strike of, this is what the gospel, this is what healing, this is what the invitation to my story is like, it's not beating myself up for the hundredth time that this fantasy won't go away but it's really to say how did this how did this form yeah. and if I can have a sense of how it formed then I can actually begin to protect this gift instead of have evil exploit it and so I think that was the initial kind
0: of just my own you can start to feel the the stuff yeah. underneath the the feelings of yeah. lust or whatever you want to use you yeah. know, sexual attraction yeah and what's driving that yeah yeah so. And those are the feelings. I saw with the therapist, with me, I started seeing this therapist. She would ask me a lot about that stuff. Mm. Okay, that you know, I just talk about history and I just kind of move on. Like, wait, how, what yeah. did that feel like? Yes.
1: Yeah. Because you know? a lot of that's that's precisely it. Because when we get into those stories, then we get into where the rage actually should be placed. So we, we don't like that our bodies experience pleasure. We don't like that. I was used as a type of surrogate spouse for my mom. I, I don't like that. And yet, that's the same kind of rage that is a lot of times directed at ourselves when we can't stop our alcoholism, when we can't stop our drug addiction, when we can't stop our sex addiction, or whatever you want to call it. Um, that that's where, the, that's where so much of the rage really begins um, and it's just it's not helpful to rage at your addiction it just it it keeps the whole cycle going
0: right. right that's absolutely true yeah well jay what would you say to someone who's listening to this podcast which i imagine there there are many ears who mm-hmm. need that extra nudge mm-hmm. to to get get some help um and maybe they've already got help but they're just t- totally frustrated Mm-hmm. Because they feel like nothing's moving the needle, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of those folks maybe in groups that are just addressing the how do you get away from your sexual yeah. sin? <laughs> yeah, right? no, totally. how would you encourage someone who's honestly seeking healing mm-hmm. and uh, and growth and, yeah. and progress? What would you What would you yeah. say to those folks as far as the excuses that we have and, and stuff like that? The excuses about. The approach, okay, right? Gotcha. About who to talk to, or mm-hmm. you know. I mean, people yeah. come up with, you oh, one more day. I think I'll be fine, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. What would you say to someone who who needs? Uh, how would you encourage someone, I suppose, mm-hmm. that has never talked to someone professionally yeah. Yeah. about their compulsion or, totally. or their sexual behavior? What I would want them to experience
1: is really like someone that is actually curious about where they come from. Um, that I think the more that you, like, instead of kind of like condemning yourself for watching pornography or beating yourself up or counting your days and all that, totally. Like it would be really helpful to be able to like, look at your life and say, how, how is this pornography? How is this particular internet search or this particular thing that I'm buying actually a reversal or a repetition of what I've experienced? So a lot of guys will come in because of a struggle with pornography and it's that, should I be in there, should I not? And then there's usually, again, some crisis that generates people to come in. Um, But then you hear that they're humiliated day in and day out in their work um, as, you know, any occupation, really. (laughs) Um, And when I ask them kind of the particulars about their internet searches, they might get into just like, needing to see women on their knees or just come shot pornography. Um, and so really what they're describing is a type of anger, a type of violence of I really need someone to be humiliated. And yet that's so much of the humiliation that they're experiencing in reality. And so that that has to be a question for us as men is like, do we want to kind of see what's happening in our life or do we want to go to violence against women in order to... Metabolize a lot of this stuff So I think that that's, that's the invitation That I would say to so many people struggling Get is curious Get curious, exactly yeah. About where this is coming from And, and what is your what, what do your arousal templates actually say About the life that you're living right now The depression that you're in Or the past abuse Or the past neglect that you've been through Or the past loneliness Like Those are really the stories that kind of Generate so much of your sexual struggle. And so if you're not curious about those, your sexual struggle is going to keep knocking at your door saying, will you finally pay attention to me? Like yeah. I, I have something that I've been trying to communicate to you since you were 12. Yeah. Um, and if you've struggled with me, but I, I, I keep knocking. Will yeah. you actually
0: open the door? Yeah. That engine light will start buzzing. <laughs> yeah. After yeah. a Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Jay. That's something. Uh, one of the season five of the podcast, the uh, the tagline is um, "From Compulsion to Creativity," mm. and I think that's a, a good one. Is to yeah. chase, be creative about how curious. Yeah. Because compulsive energy, it's an energy. Yes. And it can be moved in a direction of mm-hmm. curiosity, can't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's I mean, that's the privilege again of being
1: able to be a therapist is that it's really in years two to three that I find that so much of like sexual addiction takes up so much creativity that you I mean they're they're some of yeah. the most creative people I've ever been around. Yeah. And the way that they hide and the way that they scheme and the way that they arrange so many of their lives. Oh, yeah. And then after they st- you know, in some ways, like, get a sense of what is being repeated in their sexual cycle and then really get a sense of, I I love my life and I don't want to sabotage it. I love my family. I love my roommates. I love, like, this life that I get to live. I want to protect that. Then they have that sense of now I'm free to create. And that's, I mean, that's the privilege of getting to watch people you know, pick up instruments, go for runs, yeah. um, become published Authors um, just from engaging their own story, or there's just so many different creative outlets of
0: what can be unleashed in people when you're not sabotaging. Yeah, yeah. So, and all the energy it takes to do that. Yeah. that is so true. Thanks again, Jay, for being on the podcast. The Thank book you, titled to be announced. <laughs> yeah. Let me know when the book's out, man. Sure. I'll, I'll put a link on the show, okay. or we'll, we'll have another conversation. That'd be and, great. And uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm excited about what you're writing, and yeah. and I'm, I'm I really like what. Seattle School is doing and, and mm-hmm. how some of the folks like you and Seth and yeah. just really creative, mm-hmm. influential, dare I say progressive, all the uh, <laughs> words thrown around in a weird yeah. way, <laughs> thinkers, but you know, I, I'm really excited about what, what Seattle School is doing and Thank folks you. like yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me on. You but, Compulsion into creativity looks like getting real curious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Bye.